This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio in the piney woods of north central Florida, which happens just to be God's country. And uh, recently we've been inundated, saturated by a pollen, but today we got a little bit of a rain and we're hopeful that uh, we'll be able to go out to our cars at long last and not see yellow and have to turn our windshield wipers on and to get down the driveway. So that's the way it's been here in God's country. Today we got a special treat. We're going to be continuing these conversations on a regular basis with our, our uh, representative here to the U.S. Congress, uh, Kat Kamek, who is uh, for Florida's third congressional district. She happens to be the youngest GOP woman in Congress in the 117th Congress. Uh, according to calculations I've been reading, there are 140 women in Congress. So um, we're going to absolutely bet that Kat can hammer, uh, hold her own there. And we're going to be talking with her in the next few minutes. Because if you know anything about her past, she was once homeless. And uh, that is really, I'm sure, she helped shape her determination, her character, her resolve. And that's what we need when we're uh, really slugging it out with the urban world. And we need, particularly from my point of view, some help in the rural communities, which Cat supplies. Um, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. May I call you just Cat? Absolutely, Ward. We've been friends <laughs> for a long time. I hope you would call me Cat. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really uh, glad to have a conversation with you and uh, have you on a regular basis, letting uh, all your constituents see you and hear you in person. Uh, anybody I'm looking at here on Facebook chat want to send a question along to us? or call us on the Mellon Law Hotline at 352-325-3938. I've got to inform you, I think you're in DC, are you not? I am, I'm up in our nation's capital. We've had a very, very uh, tough week of uh, non-votes. Uh, Democrats don't seem to uh, know how to put bills on the floor and they kept us up till about one o'clock in the morning uh, this morning and uh, we'll see how long they keep us up here this week. Well, just to give you a little cleanup here in our local letters to the editor, I'm going to let, off, uh, let you diffuse this, if you will. Uh, <laughs> you may not be aware of this. There's a letter to the editor today that you voted against the Honoring Our Pact Act last week, speaking of voting. And uh, this is from a fellow named Kevin Brown in Alachua. Uh, and he says you owe a public answer as to why you act in direct opposition to the interest of our veterans. So there you are. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think it's a valid I think it's a valid question for sure. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that the PACT Act did nothing to help our veterans, uh, despite all the rhetoric and all of the propaganda that's out there saying otherwise, this bill would actually increase wait times for veterans. And that was proved by a study that was conducted. The ranking member of the Veterans Affairs Committee did not support this bill. And we had many conversations within our conference and within the committee about why this bill was detrimental. And when we offered amendments to fix this bill, the Democrats shot it down because we were very concerned about the fact that we have veterans that have been waiting for records 
for comp and pen evals for uh, appeals. And this bill would only exacerbate that tenfold. So when we offered amendments to fix the critical poison pills within the bill, the Democrats shot it down. And the only reason that this was actually brought up because it wasn't on the docket originally was because the Democrats saw sinking poll numbers amongst the veteran community. So it was really frustrating. I don't take any vote lightly. I actually sit there, agonize over them. I read every single bill. And there were some pretty bad poison pills within this legislation that I don't think veterans or any red-blooded American would support for that matter. So, I hope that answers your question as to why I voted you against the, that. You used the term, and it piqued some curiosity, poison. What was that term again? Because that piqued up. That hit poison a pill. It's what? Poison pill. Poison pill. What would be an example in that bill real quickly? So um, a poison pill in a bill is something that is just something that you cannot swallow um, gotcha. without taking gotcha. the... Right, right. And, and so within this... This bill, they wanted to insert language that would require mandatory training for diversity amongst veteran administration oh, staff, taking go. them away from processing appeals and returns. They had a litany of different trainings that were mandated for veterans administration uh, uh, employees, which what does that have to do with the health of our veterans and burn pits? Nothing. This was just another way for the ultra liberal left to push their agenda by any means. And they don't care if they're putting veterans on the chopping block. They want to get their agenda of dependency and control and this social justice warrior mindset out there any way they can. And so I know it's difficult for some people. When they say, oh, well, I just I can't go home and, and explain this. I don't want to explain this. When you read these bills, these bills are filled with garbage like that that have nothing to do with what the title of the bill is about or what the intent of the bill should be. So I think that's all the more reason why we need to have more members reading the bills and then explaining to their constituents why they don't support them or why they do support them. So in that case, that was one of the poison pills was one of the reasons why I voted against that bill. A very good explanation. We have a, a veteran here who wants to know, would that bill or is there a bill that will expand community care programs? Community care is as far as the, the choice program. I'm not if, sure what I'm, I know that this fellow was a uh, airborne medic in Vietnam is uh, suffering the consequences of Agent Orange exposure and all that. A good fan here of the show. I'm not sure what community care program means either, but um, to those type of people, uh, what could possibly be on his mind? Yeah, I think I think he may be referring to the choice program. And yes. So back in 2014, under Congressman Yoho, our team, uh, and many of you know, I was Congressman Yoho's deputy chief for the full eight years. Um, we worked to get the appropriations for new VA clinics within the district. So one in Clay County, two additional in uh, Gainesville, and a super clinic in Ocala. The Clay County Clinic was secured and opened their doors last year. Uh, just about a month ago, the Super Clinic in uh, Ocala, that was open, and the two Gainesville ones are under construction now. There's been some talk um, and some legislation that gives an option for increased choice program options, particularly on specialty care issues. But the thing that is frustrating to me is that a lot of these private providers that are within the community 
they are choosing not to participate in these programs because they're not getting reimbursed in a timely fashion from the Veterans Administration. So that's really, really troublesome because if you have a private practice operation and you want to provide services and care, you would expect that, hey, I'm going to get reimbursed by the VA in a timely manner where I'm not carrying um, this, these bills over and over and over and over for 60, 90, 120 plus days because that turns into cash flow issues. We've had several hospitals that have this situation. So people have neglected to participate in the program because of the failures at the VA. I actually had a conversation with the chief of staff of the VA recently talking about this issue. And she said, well, you know, we're working through the challenges that we have within the system. There should be no challenges. Pay the dang bills. If people enter into this program, it's a contract. They need to honor the contract much in the same way that the VA needs to honor the contract with the veterans who signed up when they enlisted or were commissioned. This makes no sense to me why we have these backlogs, but they exist. And actually, one of the issues that we've been pushing for is for a quicker completion of these projects. So like the two VA clinics in uh, Gainesville, for example, one is going to be focused primarily on primary care. And then the other one is going to be focused on mental health counseling. And then we're looking at a big revamp of the Gainesville VA hospital, which is going to be critically important because we serve so many veterans within the region. These are all things that are super in the weeds, nuanced, but at the end of the day, if you can't even get Democrats to the table to talk about real healthcare issues for our veterans, they're more concerned with social justice warrior training programs within the VA and unionizing further within the VA, you're, in a, you're losing battle. So these are some of the issues that we're facing. Um, I actually am uh, working with the VA. I, I spoke with um, David Isaacs, who's the executive director, I sat with him a couple weeks ago, and we had a veterans roundtable and a women's health veterans roundtable talking about some of the issues. We had a lot of homeless veterans issues that we're working on and focused on as well. And uh, the other issue that we're facing, particularly within our region, and it sounds like we're the, the gentleman who's on Facebook commenting, this doesn't necessarily apply to him. But if he knows of anyone, and this goes for all of your listeners, if you know of any veteran that does not have their VA card or has not registered with the VA here in our area, please have them do so because that enrollment is critical for us getting the necessary resources to the area. The VA allocates resources and um, services, uh, buildings, all this based on the number of enrolled veterans, not the veteran population, but enrolled veterans. And our area has one of the lowest rates in the country as far as veterans who are subscribed to VA services. Um, and, and I know I'm getting very long on this answer ward, but this is really important. A lot of folks come to our area, they have private health care, and they think if they sign up for the VA that they're going to lose their private health care. That is not the case. That is a total myth. Don't listen to that garbage. But when you sign up, you're basically registering yourself as a veteran in the area, which contributes to the overall amount of resources that our services for veterans get in the region. So it's really important. Please help me spread the word on that. Well, he's very appreciative because he said that's exactly what he had in mind, which you just uh amended and said it was a choice program. As I understand it, this is to give the veteran more options for care. Yes. But the reason one option is nullified is because of the bureaucracy not paying the other option. 
Exactly. And that, that, that sounds like government again, unfortunately. You know, exactly. I know you know it all too well. Uh, so appreciate that answer. I do not think in the least bit it was long-winded. I think the detail that you uh, dive to is where we're looking at. Get That's why we like talking to you, because we're not getting it out of the media. No. Uh, we have an article here, for example, about you talking about the social justice. It's uh, infected, if you will, the Federal Reserve Board. And um, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, but it's, uh, you know, they've changed that from making the purpose of the Federal Reserve Board to, uh, a man, you know, what you mandate, promote price stability and full employment, to now uh, making it the social justice warrior engineering uh, has infiltrated it. Uh, go figure. Go figure. So it's, yeah. it's, I don't know how we get rid of that. I mean, I thought we'd maybe get that out of our system, but it seems like it just doesn't go away. <laughs> you know, Ward, the, the most frustrating part of where we at, are at, uh, not the most, but I would say one of the most frustrating uh, things that we deal with is the nonsense that Washington and the bureaucrats up here think is important. I watched yesterday a press conference that the Democrats were hosting. Hakeem Jeffries, who is likely to be the next leader of the Democratic caucus, was asked about gas prices. And he said, that's not an issue that our constituents care about. Yet, just, uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the, you feel like you're taking crazy pills up here. Then last week on the floor, and I, I, I'm here at my desk and I, I wish I could find it. Um, there's a bill that we voted on called the Crown Act. And, and I have a workup of every single bill uh, because I read every bill. And in the Crown Act, it made a protected class of people based on their hair, their <laughs> hair ward. They said if you had if you had uh, textured hair, you had a, you become a protected class. And it was a bill that was designed to prevent discrimination against people with certain kinds of hair. Give me a break. We have people at the gas pump this morning trying to make a decision. Do I fill up my gas tank or do I buy groceries? Do I pay my electric bill or do I put gas in my car? We have people living paycheck to paycheck, people on fixed incomes. We have a war raging in Eastern Europe, thanks in large part to the weakness projected by this administration. We have mandates that are coming down continually, telling people that if you don't get a jab, you don't have a job. We have an invasion at our Southwest border. People are dying every day of opioid epidemic that no one on the left seems to want to recognize. We have Americans still left in Afghanistan, and they want to talk about textured hair being a protected <laughs> class? Give me a break. This is all the more reason why, if we don't take the house back, I don't know if we can ever come back. That's why everything we do every single day is about taking the house back because this administration is weak, refuses to do what they are mandated to do, and... If, if we have to go another four years under the Biden regime, I don't know if we'll have much of a country left. We've got to take the House back, the Senate back, and that'll set the stage for when we take the White House back. It, it's dire straits up here at this point. Well, it's definitely dire straits as far as we see it here, if you will, in the hinterlands, which, uh, uh, yeah. as you know, the urban world sort of dominates rural community. And mm -hmm. um, I was chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory committee to the county commission for 10 years and you uh i think you're some god bless you pardon me <laughs> god bless you and we fought for this broadband in the rural community 
yeah. which I know you're a champion of because it really puts democracy on its heels. Uh, yes. Just give you a small example. Um, our public information guy here, Mark Sexton, who I know you're familiar with, mm -hmm. I went to Mark and I said, Mark, do you realize that those of us in the rural community cannot see the county commission meetings? And he said, well, why? We have them. I said, no, you don't. You're streaming them on cable. We're on satellite. We don't get it. We don't get it. It's a great point. And, 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 and they well, ne never occurred to them. And this is what people don't understand. We're going to have this big battle over single member districts soon. There's more propaganda being put out about that. Uh, to hang on to the power base. Um, so um, the whole issue keeps me going is coming back and trying to get the true story to people uh, uh, that the media is not going to give us because there's this narrative is only acceptable. Uh, we've been knocked down twice by Facebook and, you, uh, and YouTube for uh, questioning the election. And now I even beat myself, Kat. If I'm going to say a voter, then the F word, which not not the F bomb, but, you know, the one ends in D, I'll say voter B. And I'll beat myself so the algorithm doesn't hear it. Can you believe it? I mean, that's where it is. <laughs> Ward, I, I had, um, so we have various coalitions and, and the big tech and the censorship issue is huge because we have members of Congress that don't understand social media. Heck, not too long ago, I was helping some of my colleagues turn on their cell phone and uh, one of my colleagues actually asked me if I could help him turn off his cell phone. He didn't know how. I mean, these are folks that are making the, the, the framework for, you know, Section 230 reform and dealing with huge tech issues. And I, I have had uh, several run-ins with Facebook, as you probably have heard, um, starting with the border. When I went down to the border, I sit on Homeland Security. And so we have jurisdiction over the border. And I wanted to know what the heck firsthand was going on down there. But then two, why it why they would not shut it down and get a first hound account from our border patrol agents. Well, I'm boots on the ground. Within five minutes, I'm standing in front of a line, a busload of people that have been apprehended at the border. I start talking to them. This 15-year-old girl, she had a daughter. And I asked her, I said, you know, where'd you come from? She said, Honduras. I said, how did you know to come here? And she said, Facebook. I said, Facebook. And she said, I got an ad. And we communicated on WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook. And I arranged payment through Facebook. And so I really? sent a, a congressional inquiry to Facebook after hearing this over and over and over again. And I said, I spoke to these illegals firsthand. And they told me that your platform is accepting money from cartels to target advertisements to people, not just in South America and Central America, but around the world. And you're using, they're using your platform to facilitate payment and communication logistics for an illegal action. What are you doing about it? We've been fighting Facebook for now over a year because they refuse to take these ads down. So every morning when I have my cup of coffee and I was doing it this morning, here's my cup of coffee. I was going through and I type in the search bar, um, Cruzando la Frontera, uh, at which, you know, get, you know, the border and travel to the border, <laughs> cross the border. They are still to this day having advertisements on Facebook Marketplace and uh, other places, you know, pages where cartels are advertising their services to bring people into the country illegally. I flag them. I screenshot them. I send them to the vice president of government affairs over at Facebook. Nothing happens. Yet I have churches in our district. I've got folks like you, Ward. I had a group of our, our faith coalition came in and said that they stream their services. 
they have been shut down on Facebook. They've been censored because there's key words that they are supposedly not allowed to say. True. So it's okay for cartels to advertise, but it's not okay for churches to stream. Give me a break. True. The, the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, um, they, they are in for a rude awakening. When the Republicans take the House back, this is going to be a Congress that no one has ever seen before. There's going to be accountability, but more importantly, consequences for all of these entities and these people who have absolutely subverted the rule of law, have bent the rules to fit their agenda. And for the first time in a long time, people are actually going to see a government that works on their behalf, doing what the everyday American people want, rather than listening and bending the knee to these big corporate entities like Facebook, like Google, like Apple. It's ridiculous. And the censorship, it's got to stop. And I think Section 230 is a good start, but there's so much more that comes after that because Section 230 will be great for giving bumpers and guidelines that reform. But what's going to end up happening, because these are private entities at the end of the day, they're just going to say, all right, we'll take the extreme voices on each side off the table. That leaves you with no, no room to breathe, really. So what comes after that conversation needs to happen. Section 230 is not a silver bullet. It's not going to fix everything. But I hear you loud and clear, Ward. I mean, there's certain things that I can't, I can't say. I say it anyway because, you know, I don't, right. I don't, right. I don't play by their rules. Right. If, and they, they flag me. They, they put warnings on my videos and all that stuff because I said climate change or I said COVID. You know, they'll slap warning labels on it. I, I think we need to be defiant more than ever. And standing up against these big tech oligarchs. Well, it really takes a whole teamwork to stand up to them because, yeah. as you've experienced already, they're really indifferent to yeah. the uh, anything outside their particular interests. Mm -hmm. um, the influence of Zuckerberg, for example, has been enormously uh, changing, if you will. And yes. uh, we've unearthed that here, as you may know. We discovered all that. We uh, publicized it. Uh, I don't think if we hadn't publicized it, anybody around here would have known it because the paper wouldn't have printed it. And the, and yeah. the television wouldn't have. Or you mean it. the Gainesville Sun wouldn't print it? Well, you know, I call it the Gainesville Sunset. I apologize. I apologize. The devil made me do it. But <laughs> <laughs> got a question here. I did get. We have a friend who's a correspondent who follows and is embedded with, if you will, if that's the right term. I communicate with him over Signal which is an encrypted uh, device, as you may well know, who is with the truck convoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he tuned me in yesterday, clued me into a live uh, press conference yesterday with the truck guys and the media, and Senator Cruz was there. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you hear from Ground Zero up there about the, I think it's now called the People's Convoy. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, this, what's the story? we got a question about it. What's the story on that from your vantage point? So I'm really glad you brought that up. So I support the People's Convoy 100%. I, when the truckers in Canada were going through that mess up there, I was first and foremost like, hey, listen, we need to get these folks to D.C. The unfortunate part is that they haven't made it to Capitol Hill. Um, they, the truckers have been on the loop, the, the, the D.C. Um, 495 loop around, and they're, they're, they're just out there. So no one on Capitol Hill has actually really seen them. And to me, that's really, really frustrating because I know we've got some Florida truckers that are part of it and we've reached out and we want them to come to the Hill because 
we need their testimony. We need them to be here, boots on the ground. And it's, it's frustrating that they haven't gotten up to Capitol Hill where all the members are. So I know Cruz, he drove out and, um, and saw them. I know I had a couple of colleagues that drove out and did a press conference with them. But that's, that's I think, um, a good start. But if we're really going to be making a difference, we need truckers to come and talk to members and meet them where they're at. Because if, if they're off the hill, they're not going to, you know, the impact's not going to be the same as it was in Canada. So it's, it's been um, a little frustrating that we haven't seen them up here on Capitol Hill, actually. Well, I wonder if that's anything to do with the way in which January 6th has been treated. Perhaps um, there's some absolute effort to keep them off the hill. And yeah, there's been um, there's been an increased presence of, of metro police around the area, um, but I actually was was expecting and was texting my team when I flew in at the beginning of the week, and I said, "Hey, you know, I'll fly in early. Um, I expect there's going to be a lot of traffic," and they're like, "No, it's actually been roads completely clear." So. I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're still, our team's working with the Florida folks to try to figure out if um, we can meet halfway or if I can go out there or if they can come up to Capitol Hill. Either way, I think it's still something that they need to stick to their guns on. And now you look at the price of gas. This yeah. is going to be a very, very expensive. Well, they're deal. burning diesel too. They're not burning gas. They're burning That's diesel. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So um, yeah, I'm hoping that they're going to stay throughout the week. Congress is in for this week and next. And uh, we're looking forward to connecting with the Florida folks. I know we got about two or three minutes left. We have maybe a phone call uh, coming up in a minute. Any comments on Ukraine, which, of course, is uh, all over the press? And I agree with you. Probably uh, he decided this is weak government. And uh, uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of moving parts on this. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. But I mostly, from where my stand, we're very disappointed that climate change is taking precedent over giving fuel to our domestic needs shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, not fracking. We've, you know, it's incredible. As a president of the United States would go to Venezuela to make a deal with Maduro to get oil. I mean, it's incredible. It is, it is unbelievable. This speaks to the utter disgust and contempt that this administration has for its own citizens. They would rather deal with an Ayatollah who, who screams death to Israel, death to America, and a socialist dictator who is a regular champion of human rights violations. He would rather do business with those two than to actually give the stroke of the pen that he so infamously took on day one to kill the pipeline. He would rather deal with those two than to unleash domestic energy here in the United States. That speaks volume of where this administration is at. They're not America first, they're America last. They quite literally would rather put America last because of a quote unquote climate change agenda. That's BS because no one produces energy cleaner and safer and more efficiently than the United States. You think that they're abiding by the regulation standards that the Biden administration espouses in Venezuela? Absolutely not. Do you think that they're going to produce energy cleaner, more efficiently in Iran than the United States? Absolutely not. It's all BS because their agenda is not about climate change. It's not about this social justice warrior thing. It's about dependency and control. 
They want programs that make people victims because victimhood to them means votes. It means they can make victims dependent on big government and then big government means that they stay in charge. And you and I both know, Ward, that victimhood, it is not a virtue. It's a condition. And the only cure for this condition is small government and a government that empowers people with equal opportunity, not equal outcome, right? So talking about Ukraine, the ban on Russian oil, we were supposed to vote on this yesterday. Nancy Pelosi can't run a, a lemonade stand, let alone the House of Representatives. <laughs> so this bill that we were supposed to vote on yesterday uh, actually got tabled till today. They're still debating whether or not they're going to bring it up on the House floor. This in turn is going to increase prices at the pump even more than it already is. The Fed is going to jack rates up in two weeks. And they have said, we will not approve a single permit in the United States. There are six permits currently pending for LNG, currently with FERC, the agency that oversees this. So when Jen Psaki gets out in front of the, the press corps and says, there's 9,000 uh, unused leases, that, that, that there's, we're not stopping domestic production. Yes, you are, because it's one thing to have a lease. It's quite another to have the permit. They're not authorizing any permits. They have yet to authorize a single permit for domestic production in the United States. Furthermore, every single application is still pending with FERC. This administration is lying. And they're literally using us as pawns in their game for, again, this whole agenda that is built on dependency and control. They don't give a damn about the climate. They, uh, they, they don't care about the environment. They don't care about seniors. They don't care about veterans. They want to stay in charge by any means necessary. And this is their way of doing it. Boy, it's really great to talk to you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. It's uh your detail, your attention to detail and intellect behind the details comes through very loud and clear for me. Thanks. And I'm never Sorry, wrong. I'm, I'm fired up. This stuff makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can tell it. It's, it's, uh, <gasps> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real good stream of information you've given us. And I want to let you get out there and start your work. And thank you so much for coming by. And thank we'll be you. talking to you soon. Anytime you need us, you know where to find us. So I had a great conversation here with Representative Kat Kamek. She's going to hurry off and conduct a Business of the people, actually, and that's rare in D.C. I can tell you from having been there, and um, it's it's um, quite an interesting place. It's amazing anything gets done. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, and um, have a great day. Let's take our uh, break production at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back after a few words for our sponsors and our donors. Thank you. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
if your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octon, octon. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Mach schnell! At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. Ken Cornell, known as Minnie Mike. Ken Cornell, wears elevator shoes. Ken Cornell, he just wants to be like. Once again, I've said it, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We are uh, just finished a, a, an interview with uh, Representative Kat Kamek, and um, we'll be doing that on a regular basis here a couple times a month. Appreciate uh, those of you who tuned in, questions I caught, passed along. Uh, the fundamental uh, issue, of course, is uh, taking back the House. And if we don't take back the House, um, um, you know, it's kind of Katie bar the door, really. I want to continue a little bit with this politicalization of everything that Biden and his administration touches uh, by just pointing out what I started talking about with um, uh, Representative Kamek. And that's the Federal Reserve, which is all about promoting price stability and full employment. And we're getting ready to get into an era here that's going to be, I've been around a long time, and I think um, this is going to be a very painful period in American history from which we may not recover. Um, the the trickle-down effect of $5 uh, diesel, $5 gas, all that business, and they promise they're going to make it go higher through their reluctance to uh, deviate from their political ideology uh, is going to really, it's going to have all kinds of, listen, I live out in the country here. I don't know if I'm going to be getting in a vehicle and riding into uh, Gainesville some 10, 15 miles down the road to have um, some kind of dinner at a restaurant um, that where the restaurant dinner is going to cost me as right now uh, for two, let's say it costs uh, 60 bucks. That's conservatively. Well, that restaurant dinner is going to have it cost me 60 bucks as this $5, $6, $7 fuel gets into the situation is going to cost me maybe 70, 80 bucks. So I'm going to pile that on top of the uh, price of uh, energy to get there. And I'm just going to say, let's stay home and have a TV dinner. Um, that, that has an enormous effect. Um, and and it's, you have to come and it's you have to be felt, but it's going to be felt. I can already hear people making those choices. Uh, there'll be much less travel. Of course, that's what 
the left wants. They don't want roads. They want electric cars. Everybody knows the problem with electric cars. You've got to have the energy to supply the electricity. You've got to have the batteries. The batteries are not disposable. They're acidic. Where do you put them? There's all kinds of things that those of us in the country know. We're not going to run our tractors off of batteries. And I can tell you right now that I'll just give you an anecdotal story um, that I won't real names or anything, but uh, a nearby farm uh, in this area, of course, where fewer and fewer farms employ, uh, you know, guys who are uh, from the rural world, black guys. And um, frequently now they've not been able to live in the rural world because that land has become developed by suburban people. And so they've moved into the cities in this case, Gainesville, where they live in some housing that's been really uh, developed in these uh, inner cities for so-called affordable living, but they still got to go to work on the farm. So what's been happening is the farmer's been coming to get them uh, because they don't drive, can't drive, because maybe they, and I can think of this instance, had too many DUIs. So they still got to work. So now uh, these farmers are not going to be going to town to get these fellows because you can't go to town and get them some 20 miles away and bring them back, which is 40 miles on $5 a gallon at the current price of diesel. So that's going to affect a lot of things. You're going to find that we don't have any workers in the rural society. Um, we have lost that whole thing. Uh, the work ethic, you don't, all the, none of the uh, so-called urban kids, let's color code it for a minute, white kids, they, they, they don't have calluses. They don't know what you're talking about. They're all into video stuff. They're all into the internet thing. They take for granted that they'll go uh, next door and uh, you know get themselves a quick hamburger if they need it. But you take the instance of, say, Starbucks, which was in the news here recently, where all of a sudden these young people who work at these places want a union. Okay, so they get a union. So what happens is what happens in these big companies, you cut back the people's hours so you don't have to pay them benefits. You don't have to pay them any kind of... Uh, health and care or anything like that. So now they're languishing out there with fewer hours. They have their union, but they don't have their hours. They don't have their money and they don't have their uh, a social network that they had before they had the union. This is the way the corporation fights back. So um, it, it's, it's and corpor corporations will always seek the cheapest labor. That's just the way it's always been from the time we ever had a need for labor. We always look for the cheapest form of labor. In China, it's no different. The shoe that you pay over $100 for, which one of the basketball stars has his name on, uh, really cost, as we know, $5 at the most to make in a Chinese sweat factory where women are there all day long putting the things together and um, paid almost nothing. There's no hue and cry about that form of slavery. But uh, trust me, anywhere there's capitalism, Capitalism is going to have a, a need to have the cheapest labor it can get. And, and um, this kind of divides the country a lot of times because the uh, Democrats uh, see this as a power base. And so they've aligned with unions and they've aligned with that power base to carry votes. Probably it's the way Kennedy got in uh, in Chicago bosses uh, put Kennedy in. And um, so uh we haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get really bad. And meanwhile, when the Federal Reserve has been corrupted on its homepage, and this is according to uh, America Kerber, who's written about this, the Federal Reserve, the New York Fed, announces on its homepage that it, quote, stands in unity 
with all those who oppose racism, hate, and violence, end quote. Um, and it wants to root out the intolerable inequities and injustice grounded in systemic racism that persists in our society uh, and believes this job won't be done until access to health, education, and safety and justice knows no racial uh, boundaries. That is not the mandate of the Federal Reserve. And this refers back exactly to what Representative Kamek was talking about. So we got mission drift all over DC, all over DC, there's what we call mission drift. <clears throat> if you go look at the political affiliations of these Federal Reserve systems, you'll find that the economists, uh, at the Democrat to Republican ratio is 10 and a half to one, 10 and a half Democrats to one Republican. And for every Republican economist, at the Federal Reserve System, there are more than 10 Democrats, in other words. So th they talk about diversity, but they don't mean diversity in ideology, and they don't mean diversity in, in party affiliation. So this lack of political diversity is really pronounced at the Board of Governors, where the ratio is 48 and a half Democrats to one Republican. And as I've been saying, at the University of Florida, uh, there is um, uh, only one Republican, to my knowledge, on the law uh, 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 school faculty. Uh, the other are all Democrats and uh, you see what that produces. It produces left-leaning judges, left-leaning attorneys, and they go out into this culture and perpetuate uh, what really is a kind of an unseen uh, uh, illness that this culture has. So um, um, this range in this partisanship among leaders in the Federal Reserve is a really a dangerous thing. We're getting ready to enter into tight money. Uh, we enter into uh, 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 the, uh, you know, and we're going to run out of the option of just printing money, which is uh, uh, going to, of course, stir inflation. We've already had too much money dumped into the society uh, and the culture by Biden, which has uh, uh, done not, you know, now it's killed the workforce. As we know, you see signs everywhere you go, help wanted or will hire, this, that, one, another, uh, it's because, you know, there was too much cash dumped into the culture by the Democrats during the so-called uh, pandemic. Um, so uh, we have got a, a situation where uh, we have a growing politicalization of our nation's economists, and uh, we're getting ready to enter a situation where we need the coolest heads we can possibly find to steer us through uh, of the, what's coming our way. Um, it's uh, it's doubtful. You know, you can't change these uh, these these partisanship compositions of these boards that easily. Uh, you know, we can't change them here uh, that easily. Of course, uh, with the county commission, uh, it it just doesn't it just doesn't happen. Um, the uh, Jason Riley, as you know, as a person that I, uh, I frequently uh, uh, mentioned to you is um, also discussing um, how bad uh, affirmative action has been for blacks, uh, which is exactly the opposite of what you hear. Um, and if you have, he goes back and he talks about when Joe Biden was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1991. Uh, and back then, if you remember this, uh, George H.W. Bush nominated Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court. And if you go back and pull the records, you'll see that Biden accused Bush of putting racial identity ahead of qualifications, which is exactly what Biden has done with his Supreme Court nomination. 
This is what's so disgusting about Washington, D.C. Um, there is no backbone, no bone. There's no consistency. Um, there's no um, a moral responsibility to these politicians. Um, Biden is the greatest clown of all in this respect in that you can go back. He has a long congressional record, which is easy to examine. And you can see when he was for war, when there was war, he was for war. When it was peace, it was for peace. I'm quoting the unknown citizen now by W.H. Auden. Um, back then, had Thomas been white, uh, he never would have been nominated, Biden said. And Biden furthermore said the only reason Thomas is on the court is because he's black. But now uh, uh, we're going to see uh, Biden uh, nominate this Judge Jackson. And uh, 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 and he's, uh, he's come out and said it's simply because she's black. No whites or men need apply. Um, uh, this is Jason Riley speaking. He's a black person who is just a person. He doesn't want to be known as a black person. I don't want to think of him as that. I want to think of him as he is a fine intellect, a very sharp person who is not radically extreme either way, who is not inconsistent in uh, some sort of dogma that has taken over his judgment. He um, examines these cases on an individual basis. And right now, he's uh, looking at the irony of racial preferences, which have really served to diminish black accomplishment because he says they allow others to take credit for black accomplishments and they imply that black upward mobility uh, can't, uh, won't occur without favoritism to blacks. Um, and the reality, he says, <coughs> is that blacks were advancing. And he said this many times in his, in his articles, excuse me, that blacks were advancing, and he uses the term blacks. This is not my term, this is his term. The reality is that blacks were advancing at a faster clip, both educationally and economically, before the implementation of affirmative action policies in the 1970s. Um, uh, so in the 1940s and 50s, the poverty rate fell further for blacks than for whites. And in the 1960s, black household income doubled. And that post-war economic boom lifted all the groups, but it especially lifted the blacks. Now, a similar phenomenon, he says, occurred to a lesser extent in the pre-pandemic economy under Trump. When black, under Trump, black wages rose faster than white wages and black employment and poverty reached record lows under Trump. So uh, they, 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 that's not what you hear uh, from the popular media. That's not what is underpinning uh, these reserve boards and uh, these bills that Representative Kamek alluded to. Um, you know, she's uh, 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 right there with her ear to the ground and sees it every day. Um, if you recall, um, uh, the, uh, the judicial philosophy of, ja of these judges is what should really be under question, not their race or not their you know, any of that or the sex or gender, what is your judicial philosophy? Are you somebody who reads into the Constitution that which is not there? As I've said for years, having taught poetry, I can tell you, I encounter maybe one person out of a hundred who can begin to read the poem as the poem was meant to be read. Um, that That has never changed over the years. Uh, I see these people here 
uh, all making these pontifications and and all these pronouncements and uh, all these ideologies. Let me just sit down and ask you if you can read the words as they are um, without reading, quote, into them. But the students used to always ask me, how do you read between the lines? They thought somehow I was reading between the lines, that there was something I could see written between the lines that they couldn't see. Um, you know, my favorite ex brief example is from William Carlos Williams. So much depends upon the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's it. That is the line. So much depends upon the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And they scratch their heads and they wonder and they overthink and they intellectualize and they try to please the teacher and they try to read into it. Well, maybe, uh, you know, it means that uh, Walmart is uh, started by that. You'll hear everything under the sun. But what really is meant by that line? Because understatement is the highest level of intelligence, saying far more than the words appear to say is the highest level of intelligence. So when I ask them, look at that again, so much depends upon the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. What is the most important word in those words? Oh, they don't know. Is it red, red? Yeah, no. They, they, why? Hey, buddy, let me ask you something. Somebody observed this event, right? And the observation of this event caused the observer to shockingly re-realize something that the observer had always known, but had kept in the back of his or her mind until this event. So what is the event that has just occurred that caused the observer to re-remember what the observer no doubt knew for a long time, but didn't consciously think about every day. You can begin to lead them to that understanding, but they've got to stay within the words, just like reading uh, anything in the constitution, any other written, you got to stay within the words. So the most important word, which they never realize is the word glazed. So I have to walk them through that. I say, let me ask you something. What does glazed, red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater tell you, okay? Well, they have to pause and ponder and some of them get it and some of them don't. But the brightest person will get it. And that's how you know who the brightest person is. Glazed means it just rained, okay? So now let's work backwards. What, what is it? that we all have to have. Is it a red wheelbarrow? No, we could have a gray wheelbarrow. Is it a chicken? No, we could have a duck. Is it rainwater, you think? That so much depends on? Do you think that might be the case? Do you think that every human being and everything that lives and breathes needs water? You think that might be the case? Oh boy, light bulbs go off. Light bulbs may go off. I have heard 
so many people who went on, I'm going to tell you, to become lawyers and do the same thing to the law that they, the same butchering job on the law that they do to that poem, which is entitled The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams. The same people go off and do the same thing. That's the way the human being works. So this philosophy that we're mired in now of climate change and racial preferences and LBGTQ, you're not going to change those people. They can't read the poem to start with. You're going to have to fill the halls with people who can read the poem and let them take the places of the people who can't. But that ain't easy because your media can't read the poem either. And your professors can't read the poem either. And the last people who can read it are the politicians and your lawyers can't read it either. Where do you get it? Well, you have to hunt. You have to recognize the source when you see the source. A lot of people can't even do that. They see it through the blinders of what they see everything else through, race or whatever it is, type of glasses they're looking through. So what we're alluding to here is this social justice left that insists on seeing everybody as victims. And if everybody is a victim, then the only justice you can get is from the government. And the government will protect you and take care of you and define you and pay you. Right? Right? Oh, yeah. So evidently, the Republicans can't block Judge Johnson Jackson's appointment because the Democrats control the Senate. But what Riley hopes for is that through the questioning, we can expose at least the need to understand the judicial nominees, uh, judicial philosophy, and whether or not uh, that person can indeed uh, read uh, the poem properly. I just want to tell you that there is a news bulletin that's been sent to me by a member of the research team here uh, that is really ironic. Uh, where you know we're going to have this big single-member districts battle here in this uh, county. And uh, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, in Sarasota, single-member districts prevailed in a county-wide election in a Sarasota referendum. This just came out yesterday. Um, it is proponents of retaining Sarasota's county single-member district system for electing county commissioners triumphed in a county charter amendment referendum. Uh, the tabulation showed that 57.2% of voters opposed the proposed charter amendment, while 42.8% voted for it. So they kept single member districts, okay? Uh, they uh, call it an alliance for fair elections. Um, this organization advocated for single member districts. Um, the people all worked together. People of all political parties stood up. Uh, you need to do, uh, uh, you would do well to keep your eye on this uh, area 
because it's going to be 180 degrees opposite here with the propaganda coming out of the mouth of uh, the minister of propaganda, Mark Sexton. And of course, the loudest one who's stuck his nose and everything here lately is Ken Cornell. So you're going to have uh, listen to those. Uh, now, of course, the county commissioners are saying, well, the voters didn't understand what they voted on. Oh, uh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you play it. That's how you play it. So, um, uh, you know, it's all basically goes back to what my grandmother said, I guess. And that is that, uh, uh, and by the way, this will make Lloyd Bailey happy. Uh, the University of Florida, I suggest Lloyd go over there and take a look at it. If he can get on campus, you can't park anywhere. The University of Florida and the Smathers Library has a reading room dedicated to Karl Marx. Lloyd, you ready for that? Go over to the Smathers Library, my man. Go into the reading room dedicated on the University of Florida campus to Karl Marx, okay? And I'll probably run a little bit of that story tomorrow for you. But um, it's right here on the University of Florida campus. So, um, uh, you know, you can, you can uh, actually go check it out yourself. You can, uh, if you can get in the library, I've not been there in years. Um, that whole library system I used to really enjoy. Uh, but now that I'm not a student and I'm not a professor at Santa Fe, I don't know if a civilian, so to speak, can get in those libraries. But um, it's certainly worth taking a look at the Karl Marx reading room inside the University of Florida Library. Huh, 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 huh. Thank you for watching the Ward Scott Files today. And thanks, production, for helping us go so smoothly today with Representative Kamek. Uh, we'll certainly uh, try to keep you informed on everything we can that gives you an in-depth look at uh, what's going on perhaps in our culture. And thank you so much for those of you who said you enjoyed Brandenburg Concerto. Uh, it is a remarkable work. And it says for me more than all the things that I have read in papers and publications about Ukraine. I'll always go to the art before I go to the news. Warhol Command Center out.